Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. This is a recording of our Wednesday morning Bible study held weekly at Chapel Hill and led by our Minister of Education, Casey Spiker. We walk each week verse by verse through the scriptures, one book at a time. If you wish to join us in person, we meet each week at 10 a.m. in our sanctuary. We'd love for you to join us. Now let's open up God's Word together and see what God says to us today. All right, y'all, today is Lesson 15, Lesson 15 in, uh, in our study through Ecclesiastes. Uh, I got to be honest, when I started typing notes this morning, my goal was to finish chapter 7 today, go from verse 11 through 29, but my note typing, that wasn't its plan. I've got plenty of notes to not get all the way through, so I don't have notes. We're, we're going to go through 11 through 18 today. 11 through 18. Uh, Solomon, obviously, y'all remember we talked last week, we're talking about wisdom, we're talking about um, trusting in God and leaning in God and, and understanding that true wisdom, true knowledge, true understanding, true ability to deal with things comes from God, okay? So Solomon is in one of these modes today, one of these times where he is clearly telling us that these things come from God. He's basically going to tell us, and if you have Facebook, you may have saw this. I posted it yesterday. The the premise, the the key verses today are verses 13 and 14 of this passage. Verse 13 basically says, what God has done, you can't undo. I think the the actual wording there is what God has bent, you can't unbend, you can't fix. We're going to talk about that. And then verse 14 is dealing, starts talking about adversity And he basically says, you know, you don't like adversity, but hey, just let me remind you that both prosperity and adversity both come from God. We we love prosperity, we hate adversity, but Solomon is is, is is a really good reminder here in these verses that both of those things come from above. So that's sort of our central passage. We're probably going to spend the most time on those things today. Um, but, but, but basically, y'all, there's two sections here. I, I titled the first one is Wisdom Keeps Things in Perspective. That's what we're going to look at, look at today. Uh, I guess what we'll look at next time since I ran out of room to type in my notes is that wisdom helps us to know better. <laughs> you know, that's a term we, we like to talk about. You should, you just know better. You just know better. Wisdom helps us know better in, in, our, in our dealings with life. So today, we're going to look at verses 11 through 18. And so if you will, let's read those together. Ecclesiastes 7, starting in verse 11, says this. Wisdom along with an inheritance is good, and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its possessors. Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? And in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider that God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not discover anything that will be better after him. I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility, There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Do not be excessively righteous, and do not be overly wise. Y'all 
I'll circle that one. That's a, that's a good verse too. Do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? And then verse 18 says, It is, it is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other, for the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. All right, so let's uh, broke this down into four sections here today. Wisdom helps us keep things in perspective is our, is our main title, but we're going to look at wealth. We're going to look at the fact that God is sovereign. God is in control. We're going to look at the, that, that, that adversity and prosperity, good times and bad. And then we're going to look at this, this concept of sin versus righteousness. Those are the four things that we're going to look at today. So in verses 11 and 12, we see that Solomon addresses again wealth. Now I know y'all are shocked by this. He's talked about money many times through this book already, and we're a little over halfway finished. All right, so it should not shock you that when he, when he opens up and starts talking again, he wants to talk about finances and wealth. Now, the difference here, maybe in this time, is that he's not just telling you all the goods and the evils of, of wealth. He's comparing and contrasting it with wisdom. All right, again, chapter 7, really chapter 7 through 11 all deal with wisdom, but chapter 7 focuses heavily on wisdom. So now, in verse 11, he says this, uh, wisdom along with an inheritance is good. All right? So, let's just say you've been given an inheritance. I'm gonna, I'm just because we're playing a game, you've been given lots, a big inheritance. Lots of money. Lots of money. You're welcome. Okay? And so, that sounds great. With none of us, I don't think, would turn down a large inheritance, big sum of money given to us by someone that loved us, right? That's, that's an amazing thing we'll be thankful to have, all right? But now he doesn't say that an inheritance is good. He doesn't say that wealth is good. What does he say? Inheritance along with wisdom is good. And so basically what he's telling us there is, hey, if somebody gives you a big old chunk of money, don't be a dummy. Don't be a fool. Don't, don't feel like that the security comes from the money because the security does not come from the financial stability. Security comes from the ability to handle it, to take care of it, and do with it what you need to do. The security, uh, the money is great, but the wisdom is better, okay? So now, verse 12 says, For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. All right, so look, let's be honest. At no point has Solomon told us that money is evil. Matter of fact, we get over into the New Testament and we understand that money itself is not evil. If you've eaten a meal today or if you lived in a house today, if you've bought gas today, if you, if you paid for groceries today, money's good. You need all those things. Probably now more than ever, right? We can make that argument, okay? Money is good and it, is, it does provide protection for us. Okay, I'm not saying that it doesn't. It provides, you've heard the term financial security before, right? It provides those things for us. But now Solomon tells you that wisdom also has an advantage. It also provides security. It also provides the ability to take care of yourself. And he says that it's better than money. Why? Money can be stolen. Money can be lost. Let's be honest, if you don't have wisdom, money can just be thrown away, right? 
And money can just not be as valuable as it once was. And that's kind of where we find ourselves today, right? The dollar doesn't buy as much as it used to. You used to be able to say, if you take that and a dollar, it'll buy you a Coke or a something. Now, if you say, take that and a dollar, and you'll be like, it'll buy you a nothing, nothing. A dollar just doesn't buy you a whole lot these days. I saw a thing this morning. Somebody posted, y'all, about the good old days. Y'all remember how we feel about that. Scripture says that doesn't come from wisdom, but they posted a sign that said, remember when gas was 48 cents a gallon. Woo, that was good, right? Yeah, but you made a dollar an hour at work, right? So <laughs> it kind of all equaled out, right? 48 cents a gallon would be great if we could continue on the same path we're on, right? So now, it's imp- it is possible... It is possible, I've got to read this again to make sure I say it right. It's possible for us to not use our wisdom, though. That's the thing. We can lose money. We can fritter away money. We can, it can become less valuable. It can become stolen. Most of those things don't happen to wisdom, but we, we do have lapses. Y'all ever had a lapse where you, had, you, know you're, you know you have wisdom, but maybe there was a time that it just kind of, you didn't think about it? Kind of like that prayer thing a minute ago. You have full access to God at all times, and yet most of us don't pray nearly as much as we should, right? This group, I know especially, there's some wisdom in this group, all right? But now, I bet all of you could tell me of a time when you had wisdom and you just said, I don't think I'm going to use that today, right? And you could tell the stories that don't end well, that, that you know bad things happen, right? So it's possible that we don't use that wisdom. We all have those moments, but it's harder to not have wisdom. It's harder to lose. You can't lose wisdom. You cannot use it, but you can't lose it. But now you can have a million dollars and then not have it. And if you don't believe me, look into some of the stories of professional athletes and, and things that just made more money than they've ever should have made. And then two years after they retire, they completely broke. Got nothing, right? All right, so... So, he says here in 11 and 12, it's good to have an inheritance, but the best way to have that inheritance really is about wisdom. Security doesn't come from money, it comes from the ability to use it. It doesn't come from money, it comes from the wisdom that God has given you to be able to take care of yourself and to take care of your life, okay? So now, that's verse 11 and 12. Now, let's get into... The next section, and this is, the, this is really good right here, okay? So in verse 13, he says this, basically says God's in control. We're talking about the sovereignty of God here in this passage. Verse 13 says, For consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what He has bent. Key verse in this whole passage to me. Who is able to straighten what God has has bent. If if we ever see a reminder in in scripture, excuse me. If we ever see a reminder in scripture that God is in control, I can't think of a better one. I think back, I wrote my notes this morning, I started thinking through things and I I'm reminded of that last few chapters in the book of Job. Job has been has been un, unleashing his his anger and his doubt and his questions all of his friends and his wife have basically talked him into running God down. And at the end, the last few chapters of the book of Job are just remarkable, right? This reminder from God to Job that all of that breath was wasted. Because he basically says, all right, all right, big boy, where were you 
when I created everything. Who do you think you are? Are you the one that tells the sea where to go and where to stop? And he basically spends two, two and a half chapters reminding Job of his sovereignty, of his complete control over absolutely everything. Now, this is not that detailed, but verse 13 of Ecclesiastes 7 is basically that, state, that same statement, though it comes from Solomon. He says, who can straighten what God has been? I got a, this is a really cool story, and I, I thought about this this morning. I've got, a, I've got an old fence. Our house is now, I guess, 17, 18 years old. And the fence, I think, is the one that was built when the house was built, the privacy fence all the way around, which means, you know, boards have already been replaced and got to replace some more. The gate, though, that goes into the backyard, the, uh, the, the, the mechanism, the screws have started coming out of it. Me, me and Ben were out there putting screws back in it the other day to got it, get, try to get it to stay closed. But a perfect analogy, there was a metal piece that went down into a hole in the ground and you could twist it and turn it and when you'd lift it up and the gate would open, you'd put it down in that hole and lock it and the gate would be locked, Right? Well, guess what happened to the pole? If you don't know, read verse 13. That thing was as crooked as it could possibly be. And that poor kid the other day, I don't know, got a sledgehammer, got a something. And he's over there with, the, with this metal piece that literally is like at a, at a 70 degree angle at the bottom. where It wouldn't even go down in the hole anymore. And he is just over there. He puts this thing down on a piece of wood so it doesn't mess up the yard. He knows how I feel about my yard. And he is just, he is wearing this pole out. And it probably went from a 70-something degree angle to about a 58-degree angle. I mean, he straightened it. He did straighten it out enough to get it back in the thing and get it to go down in the hole. The gate hadn't blown open since. So kudos to Ben. Uh, but y'all, I couldn't help but think about that this morning, right? When, I'm talk when we're talking about this, you can't straighten out what God has been. Ben couldn't really straighten out that pole. It, 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 it had suffered enough, wind had blown it, all this other stuff. And as hard as he tried, as hard as he tried, as hard as he worked to make that thing straight so that it would work perfectly, we didn't either have, what's the old, we ain't got the tools to pull this off. I guess that's where we fell in that, okay? So it worked, and it was better, but it still wasn't straight, right? So now, here's the thing, y'all. We often lose focus on God's sovereignty. We often lose focus on the fact that He is in control, right? His plans are going to come about in the end no matter what. You can refuse. You can say, I ain't doing that. You can, you can disobey with the best of them. And guess what? If God has a plan and wants it to come to fruition, you can't stop it. All right? You just can't. And listen, we try sometimes, don't we? We try to stop those things from taking place we, because we don't want God's will to be done. We want my will to be done. We would never say that. You would never say that out loud. Like, I don't want God's will to be done. I want what I want, Right? But we, we live it that way a lot of times, right? We live it that way. We, 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 our actions show that I want what I want, okay? He's in control. His plans are going to come about in the end, no matter how hard we try to undo them, all right? 
So now listen to this. The Living Bible, I'm not a huge Living Bible fan. It's really kind of a paraphrase. If you've got one, that's fine. It's a good study tool. Uh, about this verse 13 says it this way. He says this. See the way God does things and fall into line. See the way God does things and fall into line. Don't fight the facts of nature. See the way God does things and get into line. It reminds me, y'all, of, of, of the experience in God, the Henry Blackaby, right? Find what God is doing and join him in it. Don't try to create your own thing. Don't try to keep what he's doing from being done because his is going to work. The best thing you can do is find God, find what God is doing, and say, just, just grab onto the coattails and get along for the ride, right? Because that is ultimately, that is ultimately, y'all, that's the best way for us to go about things. See the way God does things and fall into line. Oh, this is so good. This was in my, this was in my commentary this morning and I wrote this down. It's not a, not a direct quote or something, but listen to this. He says, here's the thing. If God makes something crooked, okay, I'm not talking about like boards or pieces of steel. I'm talking about, I want you to start thinking now about events and, and moments in your life. Crooked equates to not great adversity. We're going to talk about adversity in just a minute. When God allows things in your life to be crooked, to be out of line, to be not what you would have them to be, all right, then he may have a plan to straighten out the crooked things in your life. He may. He may have a plan to straighten out the crooked things in your life. In fact, the really amazing thing about God, one, not the, one of the really amazing things about God is he may even ask you to be a part of straightening that thing out. Right? So we all have been through times in life when we had some crooked mess in our life, some things that weren't straightened out, some things that were just, were just a mess. And, and God may have a plan to work it out. God may have a plan to make it better and fix it. Matter of fact, He may want you to be a part of that. Now, the hard part for us as believers is His plan may be for it to remain crooked. And all the hammering and prying and twisting and arguing with the Creator aren't going to straighten it out. You know, I, I think when I, I didn't think about this till just now, but when I hear that, what did, what, did Paul, what did Paul say in the New Testament? He's trying to do all these great things, and he said he had a thorn in his flesh. There's been lots of arguments about over what it is. We're not going to get into that. I, it doesn't matter what it is. You probably feel like that sometimes too. You just got this one thing I can't get over. I, I have this one thing I just can't get over, right? And so all the hammering, all the fixing, all the praying, all the trying, all the working, he even went to God and said, God, help a brother out. And God's response was, nope, put it there for a purpose. There's a reason you have this thorn in your flesh. Just deal with it. God, you have something crooked. You have something that's messed up. You have something in your life. It's not like you want it. And look, God may have a plan to fix it. He may even ask you to be a part of it. Or he may have just given you something that's crooked that's just going to, you got to deal with for the rest of your life. And that may be God's plan. And we may not like it. It may not be what we would have preferred or what we would have wanted. God's sovereign. 
God is fully in control. And we know clearly from Scripture that God has plans to prosper you, not to harm you. He has plans to give you a hope and a future. He's not going to give you something that's going to destroy you or pull you away from Him. He's going to give you things that make you stronger and make you better and bring you closer to Him. And I, I can't help but think, why would we pray for, some, for God to remove something that's going to bring us closer to Him? All right, ask that again. No, payment for the sin is, 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 is the work of Christ on the cross. He doesn't leave stuff in our lives for us to work out for it to, to fix anything or bring us closer to him. That's, 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 not, that's never going to be the purpose. Is to draw, to, it's to draw us closer to him, but it's not our, it's, we don't have to do that. It's not our payment for that. Okay? All right, so now, point number three, and it look, it, it moves in very clearly from he won't, he may not hammer it out, he may not pry it out, he may not straighten it out, it may just be there. Into the next verse, the key verse, number two, verse 14 says, in the day of prosperity be happy. Now did anybody need to write that down for you? Did you do you need that on a bumper sticker somewhere? Hey, when times are good, we should, we should really just enjoy it. And maybe that. But in times of prosperity, he says, smile, be happy. And see, to me, that's almost like wasted ink. Because when things are really good, I really don't have to be told to, to enjoy it and to celebrate it. Just to give you all a, a small glimpse and how little it takes to make me happy. The other day I got, I got from a doctor's office, y'all are going to be amazed by this, I got a, from a doctor's office a refund check. I know, I know y'all are impressed. I'm trying it was a whopping $60. And you know what? I rejoiced in that. I celebrated that. I was really excited because you know what I thought it was when it came in? What did you think it was? A bill, right? I thought it was a bill when it came in. And doggone it, when I opened that thing, and look, there's a check for $60. And look, I know $60 don't hardly buy you nothing today. You can't buy a bag of groceries for $60. But still, I was excited. Nobody had to tell me, hey, you just got $60. You should be excited. I ain't talking like $15,000. I'm talking $60, right? And I was excited about it. I was trying to figure out what pair of shoes I was going to buy next. I wasn't really. I put it, I put it in savings, Pat. I put it in savings so that later I can buy shoes. Um, huh? No, I'm, not, I don't, I'm 22. 22. I, bought, I did buy another pair the other day, but not with that $60. 23, 23. I use wisdom. I use wisdom. I put it in a savings account. Going to Disney in May, I put it in a, in a savings account to take it to Disney. $60 at Disney will buy you a hat. Okay? Hey, right, 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 right. Hopefully. Hopefully. All right. So, again, nobody has to say in the day of prosperity to be happy. Now, now, listen. The rest of verse 14 is super important because he says, but in the day of adversity which none of you look forward to, none of you know that something bad's coming and circle it on your calendar, right? You don't have, you don't have bad things circled and highlighted and, and, and are looking forward to them, right? In the day of adversity, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. 
I don't have to tell you, I don't have to tell you to celebrate prosperity. I do have to tell you that sometimes that you're still supposed to, I won't say celebrate. I will say appreciate adversity. I'm not telling you to like it. I'm not telling you that it has to be your favorite. I'm not telling you that bad things happening in your life are supposed to just cheer you up. That's not, you notice he doesn't tell you that you're supposed to celebrate adversity. But he does tell you that you have to understand you, can't, you shouldn't complain about it. because it, I mean, because just like we just talked about, right? God, if God is sovereign, if God is sovereign and he knows what he's doing when adversity comes in your life, you have to trust that God has a plan and that God has a purpose and that it's going to make you a better person. Again, not telling you that it's got to be your favorite thing. I'm just telling you that, that, that it, you need both. You need both. Right? Nobody wants both. Because here's what happens. If all you ever experience in your Christian walk is prosperity, what are you going to do? Well, how, are, how are you going to act? You're just going to be a Christian little brat. Sorry. Right? Everything's good. It's always going to be perfect. And now, th- listen, the first, the first time something comes along, it upsets your apple cart. You're going to be the most miserable, per- miserable person that's ever walked the earth. You're going to complain to God. You're going to be like Job. You're going to complain and complain and complain and complain because God dared to allow something to come into your life that wasn't what you wanted. How dare He send adversity into my life? Well, you know, how dare Him? He's, he's God. He's in charge. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's the one making the decisions. He's the one calling the shots, right? It's Him. You need both. We understand that prosperity feels better than adversity, but it takes both to listen, to make us well-rounded followers of Christ. It's kind of like food. You need, you know, they got this big balance chart with some grains and some fruits and some vegetables and some meat and some dairy. And you're supposed to have this nice little mix of all of those things in order to have a well-rounded diet. But you know what, doggone it, I like meat. Meat is my favorite. I'll occasionally put some little sides to go along with it. I'll eat a piece of cheese now and then. But I want steak. I want pork chops. I want ribs. That's just what I want. And listen, I can do that for a while. I mean, if I could afford it. If the doctor's office will keep sending me refund checks, I can do that for a while. But at some point, y'all, my my health is going to suffer because I'm not taking in all of those things that are on that chart. I've just picked one and chosen to wear it out. And life is the same way. You can keep prospering. You can keep enjoying those good things. But if that's all you ever have, it's going to make you unhealthy. At least spiritually, it's going to make you unhealthy. Because you need, there's a, there's a what did he say here? Um, I'm gonna, here it is. Just going to read this to you. It's so good. God blesses our lives by giving, a, a, giving us enough blessings to keep us happy and enough burdens to keep us humble. If all we had were blessings in our hands, then we would fall right over. 
So the Lord balances the blessings in our hands with the burdens on our backs. This helps to keep us steady as we yield to Him. And listen, He can even turn the burdens into blessings. You know, we played this game last week, but if I give you a choice between prosperity and adversity, I don't even have to ask. We're not going to play a game where you raise your hand. You're all going to pick prosperity. I know that. Solomon tells us that God ordained them both. God's in charge of both prosperity and adversity. And at the end of the day, you need both in your life. I love the way it said that. One to keep you happy, one to keep you humble. Because you don't want to be a spiritual brat. But if if all he gave you was adversity, well, that wouldn't be good either, right? Because you'd never be happy. And he, he, he wants you to have life, and he wants you to have it more abundantly. And if all He gives you is burdens and adversity, that's not going to take place in your life. All right, which leads us now to our last passage. And this is a conversation we've had in here before in other other settings, other, uh, other passages. But in verses 15 through 18, He says, I've seen everything during my lifetime of futility. (laughs) Still cracks me up, my lifetime of futility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness... And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Now, what it doesn't tell us about the the righteous man, it literally spells out for us that the wicked man lives a long time. He says he prolongs his life in wickedness. We have to assume then that what he means about the righteous man is that the righteous man dies before he should. All right? So now we understand, right, the, the concept of you've heard it said, well, he was too young to die. He died too young. Only, so who was it? Uh, Billy Joel, Elton John, only, only the good die young was a song, right? You know, that's, that sounds like good, good whatever, but it's, it's really not good theology. There's nothing true about that. Uh, it's, not, it's not God's plan, okay? So, but here's the thing. It seems unfair to me that this really nice, really sweet, really awesome guy or gal would die at 20. And you all know stories of people who are 60, 70, 80, 90, and they're horrible people. And they're just getting richer, and they're just getting more stuff, and they just keep living, and they keep going on mistreating people, and it's terrible. And in our minds, in this thing right here, it doesn't make sense. Right? That's not the way it should be. Terrible people should die, and good people should live forever. But they say that's, that's not, I mean, that's not realistic either. Now, here's the thing. We have to keep it in these two things. There's two things you have to understand and keep in mind about this passage. The first, if you go back to the Old Testament, God did promise. God did promise to the Israelites, to His promised children, that if they would be obedient, if they would live for Him, that He would extend their life. That applied to the Israelites, it applied in the Old Testament, that with obedience and with living for Him would come. I guess it's the reason you see people living to be 969 and 782 and, 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 and Noah being 500 years old and all these other things because apparently they were obedient and it came with a promise. It came with a promise, but now here's the thing. That promise doesn't exist. That promise doesn't apply to you and me. So there's no, there's no rule if you're good, you should live long, and if you are a horrible person, you should die early. doesn't exist. It's not a thing. 
It happened in the Old Testament. It doesn't exist anymore. The other thing is we can't have such a worldly view of things. What we only see and what we only think about is the perspective, well, that, that terrible, horrible dude is 75 and he's just getting richer and he's getting healthier and he, doggone it, he's going to live forever mistreating people. What we don't stop to think about oftentimes is hell is real. And we, we, we think in an earthly context. God says, look, he may do all this here, but there's a plan. If he doesn't repent, if he doesn't get right, then punishment for him is going to be far worse. It's going to be far worse than if we had a conversation about hell in the office this morning. You, you should really come about 8.30 on Wednesday morning and just sit around the office. That's usually when we have our most spiritual, deep Bible study conversations with four preachers and Kim sitting there talking about Scripture. It's really, really pretty cool to be a part of. Now, here's the thing, y'all. We can't go, oh, well, good. They finally got what they deserve. And I see the looks y'all are giving me. I see them. But now I can't tell you how many people when Osama bin Laden was killed rejoiced. Now, from an earthly standpoint, I'm with you. Horrible, horrible dude. Killed thousands and thousands and thousands of Americans and what is arguably either the worst or second worst day on, that ever happened on American soil. I'm with you. I can't, I can't as a believer, though, justify celebrating that when I know he died and went to hell. Can't rejoice in knowing, well, at least finally they're going to get theirs. That cannot be our heart. Our heart cannot rejoice over those horrible people. I mean, that's what he calls them here, wicked. I mean, he, just, he specifically calls them here in verse 15, calls them wicked people. You know what? We have to keep reminding ourselves wicked people were made in the image of Christ. Wicked people were people that God sent His Son Jesus to die for. And if they perish and they spend eternity in hell, and somewhere along the way we as believers failed them. Somehow, some way. I'm not saying you individually should have witnessed Osama bin Laden. I'm not saying that. I understand that. But, y'all, we can't celebrate, we can't rejoice over knowing that God has a system in place to work all of that up. Now, verse 16 says this. This is, a, this is a neat little verse right here. Do not be excessively righteous. This sounds like a, a, a warning label on something, right? So we've talked about wisdom, we've talked about all the things we do. And then in verse 16, he just throws in a, do not be, an ex, do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. What? If righteousness is good and wisdom is good, why wouldn't you want more of it? All right, there we go. There's the answer. What he's telling you here is not to be self-righteous, not to be prideful, not to be boastful, not to gain wisdom so you can tell everybody how doggone wise you are. That is not the purpose of righteousness, certainly, and it's not the purpose of wisdom so that you can go around telling everybody. One of the commentaries, one of my footnotes in the Bible said, uh, don't become pharisaical. Don't become like the Pharisees where you just got to tell everybody how great you are and how lousy they are. So when he says don't get too much righteousness, don't get too much wisdom, he ain't talking about godly righteousness and godly wisdom. You can't have enough of those two things. You, you can have too much. I'm better than you because, doggone it, I'm smart and God did something for me. 
Okay, so when he talks about that, that's what he's talking about, right? So now, in verse 18, he concludes with this. And again, righteousness, wisdom, righteousness, wisdom. Verse 18 says, it is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. All right, in other words, the simple Cliff's Notes version of that is you need both. You should have both. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. Righteousness, y'all, we understand that I, the only, our righteousness, Scripture says, is as filthy rags. The only righteousness we have, righteousness, right standing before God, right relationship with God. The only righteousness I have is His. I have none. Or, I take that back, the righteousness I do have of my own is worth nothing. Be like if you went to the grocery store today and you bought like $500 worth of groceries and all you had was a shoe to pay for them with. And they're going to say, I don't think you can pay, with that for a, pay for that with a shoe. What is it? It's useless. <laughs> Your righteousness is like paying for $500 worth of groceries with a shoe. It serves no purpose whatsoever. Your wisdom, it comes, your, your righteousness, it comes from God. Your wisdom, where does it come from? Solomon has been perfectly clear all the way when he mentions it, wisdom comes from nowhere but God. You can read books and you can be smart. You can have life experience and you can have common sense. Your wisdom comes from God. You can have all those things, but wisdom comes from God. And he says at the end of this thing, cling to one and don't let go of the other, which kind of sounds like the same thing to me, right? Sounds like the same thing. Cling to one, cling to your righteousness because that's what you need, and don't let go of the other one because wisdom will get you where you need to be in life. The theme today, the, the whole thing today was wisdom helps us keep things in perspective, right? It helps us understand all of these things that we talked about. When you understand that, that, that God is sovereign, when you understand, and I mean truly understand that God is in control, adversity doesn't bother you. Somebody else being sinful, I mean, it, it should bother you, but you hear what I'm saying, it doesn't, it doesn't destroy your world all these other things, y'all, when, when, we, when we see things the way God sees them, when we see things with the wisdom that God gives us, it changes the way we view everything. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to what God had to say to us. If you have any questions about today's Bible study, you can call our church office at 205-339-4071, and we will be glad to answer any questions you might have. God bless you, and we hope to see you again next week.